0: hope you're doing well. Um, we've been going through this sermon series for a few weeks. We have a, just a couple weeks left, uh, and the idea birthed behind it was, um, man, we do a lot of stuff on Sunday mornings, and, and I just wanted to kind of unveil why we do these things. Like, why do we gather every Sunday? Why do we serve? Why do we pray together? Why do we um, sing Right, because there's not a lot of places you go and just start breaking out in song and day like that. It's like the movies, right? Like, but here we come and we sing together. Why do we do that? Why do we, um, why do we preach? Why don't we have a dialogue? Like, why don't we just talk about stuff? Why is someone up here proclaiming the word? And then so we've gone through that, and then today we're going to talk about why we eat together, why we remember Christ through the Lord's Supper, why we remember through communion every week. And we talk about that we uh, at least read it for us here in scripture in Luke 22 and it's in the other gospels as well but there's this idea, Jesus says, you do this in remembrance of me. So we think about memory and remembering um, and we love talking about memory and remembering, right? Like that's just, we just love talking about, you know, stuff that has happened. Uh, our town recently had a festival called uh, Remember When uh, Day. Uh, I didn't know, I don't, they didn't do like a lot of advertisement. I just showed up one day and there was like a million tractors downtown I thought it was Tractor Con, like I didn't know what was going on, uh, but it was it was Remember When Day, and so we were like kind of looking back. There was bluegrass uh, people playing out here in the park behind us, or behind me rather, and it was it was a cool day. But we 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 really like remembering. Uh, we talk about it all the time. I had a friend in elementary school. Uh, we would actually make fun of him, and, and God forgive me, but uh, he would uh, we would play basketball, and then 20 minutes later inside, he'd be like, Hey guys, remember that time we played basketball? And we're like, Matt, yeah, it was like 20. We all were there. Like, why are you? Like, it's just, we just love talking about it so much. My kids do it. We love it. Um, and we remember stuff. And so Jesus institutes this thing that we do in remembrance of him. And the thing about memory is it's not just thinking backwards. It's not, it's not the only thing you're doing. When you look back and you remember stuff, it's also affecting your presence. Like, your, what's happening currently it's affecting that as well. You're thinking back, and it could affect your current mood. It could affect the way you're thinking through things today, the way you're making decisions today. But it doesn't just stop there. Remembering back also affects your future. It, it, it changes the trajectory of our future, because as we look back and see what has happened to us or what we have done or what, is, what, is, what has happened in the world, it changes the decisions we make tomorrow, a year from now. And so remembering isn't just a past event. A remembering is where the present the past and the future collide and intersect. It's all three of those spaces. And so when we think about remembering, uh, I want us to think through remembering those lenses. We're not just looking back at something that's happened. We're looking back at something that's happened that's going to affect us today and could change tomorrow. And so remembering is also this theme in scripture. Uh, There's lots of times, specifically throughout the Old Testament, where God says to remember things. And so when we look through the Old Testament, we've talked about the story here before, but um, you know, God creates heaven and earth, he creates a people, they rebel against him, and he has this plan to bring his people back to him. He's chosen uh, a people, the people of Israel, to, to be the means in which he will bless the earth and the world, and we know that that was through Christ, that Christ came, Jesus came from the people of Israel to redeem and save all who are his. And so we think about this: these people, God um, had a plan for these people, the people of Israel, And and what happened was those people uh, happened to be in slavery under the rule of Egypt. And then God rescued them from slavery. And we're going to talk about that in a second. God rescued them from slavery um, through Moses, brought them into the wilderness. They were there for 40 years. And then finally, God brings them into the land that God had promised their, their, their ancestors, their forefathers. And in doing so, they crossed this river called the Jordan. And in Joshua, when we read this account, God tells Joshua to go back to the river. They, they cross the river on dry ground. God stops the river. They go on dry ground. They cross it. God says to go back and gather stones, 12 stones, and, and to make a, a pillar there, an altar there, to remember what I have done for you. In fact, in Joshua 4, this is what this is what is said. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times, in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did at the Red Sea, when he dried for up for us at that time, uh, until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So there's this idea of remembering. There's this idea that your children will ask, what are these stones here for? And you'll be able to tell them of, you know, the the hand of our God is mighty, that he passed us through this river on dry ground just like he did at the Red Sea, and he saved us as a people and brought us into the land that he promised us. Remembering is is a theme, and it's helpful in the present. We talked about that. It's helpful in the present. Um, We planted this church three and a half years ago uh, in our living room. A lot of you guys know the story. If you've been to our Next Steps class, you've heard the story. Uh, We got in our living room. We ended up having like 30 people in our living room, uh, I'm a really, I'm really skilled at church planning, so I got that down to 13 before all was said and done there, um, and that was fantastic, and so, but with that came some, just some dark times, uh, I let that affect me way more than it ought to, um, I, I just kind of felt a little depressed, and like, man, like, is this what God has called me to, are we sure, like, we had this crowd, and now there's just 13, and uh, I was in one of the 13, so just 12 other people, and uh, this guy, his name is Matthew Sutton. Uh, he's a kid that I uh, discipled. He was in my youth group when I was a youth pastor, and um, he I, he called me and I was talking to him, kind of sharing what was going on. And he just stopped me. He's like, "Dude, just just get a journal out and just write down all the great and mighty things the Lord's done, and just remember those things." And so I listened to him. I did it, and it brought me out of that dark valley I was in. That time. It helps remember that like, the Lord is good. Like I don't need to question uh, everything that's going on because all I could see was the presence. But when I looked back, it brought me out of the darkness of the presence and it gave me a hope for the future that God is God, He's still God, He's mighty. And so God instituted this remembering for the Israelites for the same reason to so they can remember what the Lord has done. That it wouldn't just be looking back and, and, and you know think, oh man, the good old days were cool, but that God is still God, He's still mighty, He's still to be feared. And that affected them then. In fact, the the biggest point of remembrance in the Old Testament uh, has to do with a similar story. um, And it has to do with the Israelites coming out of Egypt at the very beginning. Not 40 years afterwards, crossing the Jordan, but the very beginning. So we had this people that God was going to bless the world through with Jesus. And they were in slavery. And God chose one of those people named Moses to lead his people out of slavery. So Moses is, is, is there, and he's, he's actually a, a fugitive from the law. He's running from Egypt, and he finds this burning bush, and the Lord speaks to him and tells him he's going to go free his people, that God has heard the cries of his people. And he's compassionate. And is going to free his people and use Moses to do so. Moses begins to argue with the Lord. I don't recommend that. Uh, but Moses, we all do it at times, but Moses begins to argue with the Lord and say, well, I don't know if they're going to listen to me. And, and God tells Moses, what's that in your hand? That's a staff. When you throw that down, it's going to turn into a serpent. They will see mighty works by your hand, and they'll know that it is I who sent you. Moses, that wasn't good enough. Moses continues to argue. He's like, but my tongue is slow, and my mouth doesn't work very well, and I don't know, like, I'm not, I shouldn't be your mouthpiece. And God says, who made your mouth? Who made your tongue? It is I. Like, I will take care of you. So Moses goes to, to proclaim that the Lord has heard the cries of his people and wants his people set free. Well, Pharaoh's using these people as slaves and, and dealing with them harshly and, and to, to build his empire, and Pharaoh doesn't like this idea at first. And so what happens is there becomes these ten plagues. You've probably seen the movies, or you've heard about it, or you learn it in Sunday school, or you've read it yourself, and you just know the story. That's fantastic. There's these ten plagues, um, and they begin to get progressively more damaging to the people uh, of Egypt. And what would happen is Pharaoh would decide, okay, yeah, I'll let the people go. And then God would harden Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh would pull the people back and say, no, you can't go now. He'd release them and and pull them back, release them and pull them back because God wanted the people of Israel to know, you're not being set free because of some grace or mercy of Pharaoh. You're being set free because I have set you free. So we're gonna go through all 10 plagues and you're gonna see that it was me who set you free. And so the 10th plague is the plague that God said, I'm gonna kill the firstborn son of every house in Egypt. But for my people, if they will kill a lamb, and they take its blood and put it on the doorpost. That when the angel of death comes to deliver out that plague, to, to kill the firstborn son of every house, it will pass over the houses with the blood on the door. So we get the idea of Passover from. So they, they had this huge event happen, and that was the event, that was the plague that Pharaoh finally let them go, and, and, and so he lets the people go, and he, he ends up chasing them, um, and, they, and they, they get to the Red Sea, and they're, they're backed up against the sea, and Pharaoh, and God splits the Red Sea, and they escape through the Red Sea. It's this incredible story of Israel, God's people, being delivered from slavery. And to remember that, God institutes this feast in Exodus 13, This time to remember what has happened. Very similar to what we read in Joshua. We're going to read it. It starts in uh, Exodus 13, starting in verse 5. It says, When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days, no leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statue at his appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you to the land of Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are male shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with the lamb. And if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck." firstborn every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem and when in time to come your uh, and when in time to come your sons ask you what does this mean you shall say to them by a strong hand the lord brought us out of egypt from the house of slavery and when pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go the lord killed all the firstborn in the land of egypt both the firstborn of the man and the firstborn of the animals therefore i sacrifice to the lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So God institutes this feast, this is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that seven days to remember this time, you're, you're gonna only eat bread that's unleavened, has no yeast in it. And on that seventh day, we're gonna have this feast, this Passover feast, to remember that night when you killed that lamb in, in, in Egypt, and the, house, and, and the angel of death passed over your house because you put the lo- blood on your door. To remember that it was a mighty hand that saved them out of Egypt. These are symbols of their salvation from Egypt. They're symbols of their salvation from Egypt. They're visual symbols, and they're joined with teaching, right? And so the fathers would tell the children, this is why we do this. And the kids would ask Why do we do this? And that's true today. You're going to start to see the similarities and the reasons, and we read it already, that the first Lord's Supper, the first communion, was actually at the Passover feast uh, with Jesus the night before he was to be killed. It's the Passover feast Jesus was celebrating when he instituted this supper, this communion. And so there's these similarities here. People, it's, it's mixed with teaching. You teach your kids why we do this. Your kids will ask, and literally your kids will ask. Last night, I was at um, Western Sizzlin. Don't judge me. Um, that's where my son wanted to go, so we went, okay? And uh, so we went to Western Sizzlin, and they have incredible bread rolls there uh, and butter. They have like a tub of butter. I don't know where you find tubs of butter at that big, but I would like to know. Uh, and so we're eating there, and my son begins to ask when he can take communion, and, and why we take communion, he begins to ask these questions about this thing. And so I want you to see the, this, that, that though God, you know, God had said, people are going to ask why you do this. People are asking why we take communion, why we do what we do. Why do you do these symbols? My son began to ask those questions, and it was, it was a really good time. There, we'll share a little bit more about the conversation later. Uh, it didn't go as well as I'd hoped, but uh, it, was, it was good. It was really good. But there's these symbols, and, and, and we have these symbols. Uh, and also, I want you to see the similarities because what we see here is not just the symbols of the past, but that God was telling the people of Israel to do this feast in a land that they, hadn't, they, they didn't have yet, a land they didn't own yet. And so there's this future aspect to this command that, that this is going to be something in the future. And when we take communion... It doesn't just remembering the past, but it's looking forward to the future. We read where Jesus said, I'm not going to eat this again or drink of this vine again until I'm with you in heaven. So there's this, there's this future aspect to it. So Jesus, on the night of the Passover, institutes this thing. I, I wanted to give us the context of what Passover is and this, this theme of remembering in Scripture. And it says in verse 14 of Luke 22, our passage today, And when, or one of our passages, I suppose. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, "I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer." I just, I just love that. Like Jesus just so badly wanted to eat with his friends. He just, he just wanted. Like he was. Like if you read before in in Luke twenty-two, you see that he actually had all these plans. That he sent his disciples out to make these plans to make sure this dinner went off the way it was supposed to. Like he really wanted this dinner to happen. He wanted to eat with his friends, he wanted to give these symbols to his disciples. We make plans for things that we care about. We the things we really wanna do. When I proposed to my wife, I had these plans, I had backup plans and and not everything went super well um, because I waited, so like my my wife came out to California to help me move. We had this like two week time span and I waited till the last day of the two weeks to propose. She thought it was gonna happen earlier so she started getting progressively more angry with me as the two (laughs) weeks went on. Um, so it didn't go super well, but it was, the, the day it happened was fantastic. Um, but, it was, it was, it, but I had these plans, and it was important to me. I wanted the plans to go the right way, and Jesus had these plans to be with his disciples. He wanted to be a certain way. He, wanted to, to, he really wanted to eat with his friends. For I tell you, verse 16, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus, during the Passover feast, that God that God said to do in Exodus 13. Jesus takes this time and begins to illuminate the Passover. He, he takes this feast that's been, been done for thousands of years and he elevates it to its true meaning. He says like th- these, these cups you've been drinking, this bread you've been eating has a different meaning now. There's a new covenant that this bread isn't just bread. It's not just to remember the Passover, but it's to look forward that, that the spotless Lamb of God would come and save his people once and for all. That we'll no longer have to sacrifice lambs every year, but that one has come to do it once and for all, Jesus Christ. And so he illuminates Passover and, makes, and tells the disciples, this is what we've been, you've been doing every year, it's, it's to point to this moment. And so he takes these symbols and he, and he turns them into what they're supposed to symbolize now, that the bread is his body being given over for his people that his blood is being poured out for a new covenant to form a new covenant, a new people. And they're symbols, and that's what they are. They are symbols. Some would say they're just symbols, and I have a hard time saying the word just because they're incredible symbols. They're not just. I mean, we we don't believe that it actually turns into Christ's body or it actually turns into his blood, but they are great, God-given symbols for us to remember that Christ's body was given for us, that though we deserve death, Christ substituted himself in our place. They're God-given symbols to remind us that through his blood being spilt for us, he's made a new covenant, he's made a new people, and we can gather together under that. They're incredible symbols. They're great symbols. And so we do this week after week to remind ourselves to do it in remembrance of him. We see in the in the New Testament that it was it was also done after this. We see the observance of the, the Lord's Supper, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes to the church in Corinth that they um, they were doing uh, the Lord's Supper wrongly. There were people were getting drunk, drinking too much wine. There was people who were coming without they were poor, didn't have a lot of food, and people wouldn't let them eat, so they going home hungry. There was just they were doing. There wasn't this symbol of remember what Christ had done. It become this like party in this feast. And so he rebukes them for that, but then starting in verse 23, he says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we have Paul telling the, the church in Corinth, this is how you do this. This is how, Jesus gave this to me. We do it like he did. We take the bread, we take the cup, and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's this future aspect to it. There's this proclamation. It's why my kids asked. Because when we come up week after week and we take communion we take the bread we take the little cup of juice or wine depending on your conviction and we do that we are preaching to the people around us a story we're preaching to them the the gospel you may think that the preaching happens here and it does but the the proclamation of the gospel also happens when you as christians take the blood or take the wine and take the, the bread we're proclaiming, and so people ask questions why do you do this? Why, my sons, why do you do this? Why, why do we do this? How do I get to do it? The Lord's Supper becomes the defining and shaping event in the life of the church. We take the bread and remember that it was given for us. We're reminded that we were bought with a price, that though um, our salvation is freely given, Christ paid a price for it, that our Lord died for our salvation. So we're reminded of that. Reminded that it cost Jesus something to redeem us, to save us. The price being paid was the life of our Lord. We take the bread, we take the cup, we relive and take part in what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. And this is, this is, this is why we do this. This is why we do it every week. We see this, that Jesus, he's eager to eat with us, and so he's eager to eat with us here, and he's, he's here with us when we, when we take communion. Although he's waiting to eat with us in some future day, he's here amongst us, and we, we come to him, we come to his table and we take the bread and the cup. But then he says this thing about the new covenant, and, and Paul talked about it, and, and Jesus talked about it, and this idea of this new relationship that God was gonna have a new relationship with his people from here on out. He was going to have there this new covenant, things were going to look differently. I want to read a couple more passages that kind of illuminate what this new covenant is, what this new relationship is. Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31-34 says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke... There's this new covenant. There's this new relationship that God's going to have with his people. The law is no longer going to be this thing out here. It's going to be in us. God's going to put the law, He's going to put His word in us and in our hearts. And then Ezekiel chapter 36, starting verse 25, says something similar. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, all, cle- all cleanliness, all cleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell on the land that I gave, you, gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. There's this new thing happening here. And the blood is the, 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 the wine, the juice we drink is the symbol this new thing has happened. That God has created a new people and that he's gonna put his spirit within that people, he's gonna put his law within that people and he's gonna cause them to, to keep the covenant. We no longer have to try and keep the covenant. God's going to do that in us and through us. That's a covenant that we can't break because God's gonna be the one to cause us to do it. This is new, this is a new relationship God's having with his people and the blood signifies that and it makes a new people. It's good news. So we come together each week to celebrate that. That's what the Lord's Supper is. It's a celebration. It's a celebration and remembrance of what God has done, is doing, and will do. And so we come each week. And so you might ask, well, why do we, why do, we uh, do it each week? There's some questions you might have. Who should take it? Is there a time where maybe I shouldn't take it? So we're going to talk through some of those questions as we, we see that there's this symbolism here that we're coming to be reminded of what Christ has done. Okay, so why do we do it every week? Because I think some people um, who come to the Grove, like taking communion every week is new to them. And I get it, because a lot of people don't take communion every week. Some places do it once a quarter, which ends up being four times a year if you're good with math. Um, and, and some people do it you know, once a month, on the last Sunday or the first Sunday. There's different ways to do it. We do it every week. I, I think I see that in scripture. Um, in, in Acts, it talks about how they gathered each week to break bread and, and do these things, and, and we see that Paul um, you know, at least heard about the uh, church in Corinth doing it enough to know they were having problems with it. So it's probably more than just four times a year. Historically, the church has done it weekly up until the reformation and, and at the reformation there there was uh this kind of division among should we do it weekly should we not do it weekly uh the catholic church did it weekly so there was there was uh, some people who said oh we want to get as far away from the catholic church as possible so let's change some of the ways we do things on sundays there was other reasons they they did it less often but there was other reformers who were like let's keep doing this weekly the primary reason why we do it weekly is because i know that i'm prone to forget the good news of the gospel that man, like I can get down these steps and I've already forgotten what Christ has done for me. I'm worried about where I'm gonna go to lunch. I'm worried about you know, how my sermon was. I'm worried, about, like I feel like I need to, like how did I perform? Like I think of these, these thoughts that aren't true and aren't good for me. Every week I need to be reminded that it's not performance-based. I didn't earn, because really, if you think about this idea of communion, we're reminded every day what Christ did, but not just what Christ did, that he had to do. There wasn't a way for us. So this flies in the face of performance-based religion. So I have to remind you that every week, or else I'm gonna forget. It also tilts our service and our gathering towards the gospel. That as we sing and as we preach, we're ending on this idea that our sins are forgiven through the body of Christ being given for us and the blood of Christ built for us. That our, all of our sins are forgiven for those who are in Christ. So it tilts our gathering towards that, and we end on that. Some may ask, "Well, doesn't that make like doing it every week isn't isn't it going to lose its meaning? Like if you do it every week, it become meaningless." I, I I think that's a fair assessment. I don't think we think about the rest of life like that. I can't think of a lot of other things we say. Like, hey, let's not do that every day because it's not that meaningful. Like like uh, you know, if if we had spouses in here wives who told their husbands i don't want to be intimate every week because uh it just loses me let's just do once a quarter and like we'd have some pretty frustrated husbands in here all right if we had you know people said i don't want to say i love you that often because i just don't, I don't want to lose me let's just say i love you once a quarter right i'm not dogging people who do once a quarter i'm just saying like for me like I this isn't going to lose its meaning if we do it often because we celebrate if we talk about what we're doing it's not going to lose its meaning We celebrate, we need to be reminded of this because our hearts are prone to wander and we're prone to forget. So who should take communion? So my son asked, who should take communion? Um, We talked about Christians, those who have believed, those who have believed and repented and are following Christ. Those are the people who should come to the table. They're the people who have a space at the table and they should come to the table and eat and drink with the people of God. So that's why every Sunday you might hear me up here say, like, hey, like we're about to transition to a time of, of response and communion. Uh, if you're a Christian here, man, you're free to come up. And I say, if you're not a Christian, like w- would you just abstain? We're not trying to make you feel weird. I say that every week because this is our belief that Christians should come to the table because they have a place at the table. And those who aren't Christians, who have decided not to have a place at the table for themselves, it wouldn't make sense for them to come up and symbolically find a place. And so it, it's for Christians... And then is there ever a time where Christians shouldn't take communion? There's a text where this this conversation comes from. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, just right after the verses we read earlier. And it says this. It says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. We don't want to do that. So it says, Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so there's this, there's this, and then later Paul will talk about how, or right after this talk about how that's why some of you have fallen ill and fallen sick and some of you even fallen asleep because you've taken this in a way that's unworthy. So, so there's some who, who abstain from communion because they're concerned of what it'll do if they're not, if they're not worthy enough. So what does this mean to be unworthy? Well, let, let me start off by saying what it can't mean. It can't mean that you earn it. It just can't. Like that's not like the whole idea of communion is you couldn't earn it. So someone had to die for you. So it's it's not that it's ever deserved. And it's not it, it can't mean that you're not a sinner. Right? Because if you think about communion, communion's only for sinners. Jesus, the only one who hasn't sinned isn't currently taking it until the kingdom of God. It's just for sinners. It's just for sinners. And so this idea that communion, I have to like be clean enough to do it. or like do it. There's, a, there's a guy, I read a story online. He went to it and preached at a church in Germany um, that had 5,000 people. And when it came time for communion, only 12 came forward. And the reason he found out was because people are so afraid of what's going on in their life that they might not be worthy enough to take communion so they just abstain. That's not what's happening here. Let me give you an example of someone who, who, who should abstain. If you're a Christian and you have, you have professed faith in Christ and you've been baptized and you're trying to follow Christ, but, but there's some sin in your life that you love too, so much that you don't want to give it up, that you're unwilling to give it up for Christ. I'm not saying you haven't yet, but you don't, you don't even want to. You're just like, you know what, I like doing that. I'm, I'm not giving that. God can touch everything, but he can't touch this part of my life. Like there's some concern there. And that would be a person who, who, who could be drinking judgment or eating judgment because they've decided, you know, I, I want to follow Jesus, but not that much, not this much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this part of my life here. Now, let me, let me explain this a little bit further, though, because if you're here and there's parts of your life that you haven't given up, that you haven't repented from, that you want to, like you have a desire, you want to stop doing that, you want to turn to the Lord, you want to turn to the Lord, like then communion's for you. It's not that you have cleaned yourself up at all, but that you you have a desire to follow Christ and you want to lay everything down and follow him. Then communion's for you. Communion's not for those who have it all sorted out. The Lord's Supper's not for those who aren't sinners because it's for sinners only. When we take the elements, the bread and the cup, we confess that we are sinners in need of a savior and we confess that Christ is that savior for us. His work on the cross has saved us. One of the things that I love about it is it stops it from even coming close to sounding legalistic. It is not performance-based. We said that. My son last night, we're talking about communion, and he's asking why and how. And, 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 and uh, one of the things he said was, uh, okay, so like when I'm good, I can take it. And I'm like, no, how did you? I looked at Margie and like, that must have been you, babe. That was not me. Like, I did not. So, I'm just kidding. It wasn't Margie. It's just our flesh, right? Because like, we feel that, too. I, I, maybe someone has told you that you need to be good enough to take communion, if they have, I'm sorry. But for a lot of us, no one's told us that. We just feel like, if I'm going to be a part of this, I've got to earn it. That's our flesh. Like, we, we feel like that's what we have to do. We feel like it's performance-based, that I could only come to the table if I'm a certain amount of clean. Then I can come but it's not. People deeply struggle to believe that God really loves who they are right now. And communion, the Lord's Supper is this proclamation that he does. That he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. To take our place. And we're proclaiming that if God has saved me, surely he could save you. That's what I love about this church. There's a, uh, you know, we have conversations with people in our community and and you invite people to come to the church, and there's people who have been invited who have decided they don't want to come. And uh, one of the, a couple of people, one of the reasons they don't want to come is because some of the people who are here. Okay? And let me, let me explain this a little further. I don't want to say names, but uh, I've heard, like, I don't want to go to that church. There's that one guy there, and he does announcements, and he's done some pretty shady stuff in his life, and I can't go to a church that he's at. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's, like, literally the gospel is, like, He's forgiven. Like, he can be forgiven. And, it, and, it, and if, he, if you think he's so much worse than you, that should be incredible news for you. It's because if God can save and use that guy, how much more could he save and use you? Like, if we're, even, even if they're right, and I don't think they are, but even if they're right, like, it's good news. But this is what we hear in the Lord's Supper when sinners like you and sinners like me who have trusted in the blood of Christ And in the gospel, come up here and take it together. We're proclaiming to a world that our sins are forgiven. And it's a forgiveness so good that we can taste it. And so we do that every week to show the world, to remind ourselves what Christ has done for us. So in a moment, we're gonna have the opportunity to do just that. We're not just gonna talk about communion. We're an opportunity to take it. Um, and we're going to sing together. We're going to come to the table together, eat and drink. And again, it's worth repeating, if you're a Christian in here today and you want to follow Christ, if you, maybe you sinned horribly this morning. You don't have to get a weekend of good behavior to come to the table. Repent now. Confess and repent, and then come to the table and receive what Christ has given you, Forgiveness. You don't have to get a weekend of doing it right. In fact, all that happens in you giving yourself time—we talked about this before—is is you think with enough time, maybe my shame will just wear off. That's all that happens. You're still sinning. You're not getting any better, except what Christ is doing in you. The shame you have on that keeps you from the table is not yours to bear. If you're in Christ, it's His. Cast it on Him. Come eat and drink and celebrate. his people. If you're not a Christian, again, this just wouldn't make sense for you. So we just ask you the same. No one's going to look at you weird or think differently of you. No one will probably even notice if you don't come up. Um, You can sing with us, but this would be for those who have trusted, believed, and have followed him. So we're going to do that. We're also going to have a time to give. If you're a member here at the Grove, uh, if you're one of our covenant members or you're someone who supports here, this is our chance to give and support what Christ is doing Um, through the grove and how he's advancing the kingdom of God through us and so it's on the bar as well so we'll we'll transition to a time of singing and as you come up you can take communion it's on the bar you can come up this way take it and go back to your seats you can come up here and give if you're new here uh, we're not trying to ask you to give that's not what we're doing Uh, we are asking our members to, to worship through giving and generosity because Christ has been generous to us we can then be generous with all things back to him And so I'll pray for us, and then we will celebrate. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for um, these stories that we can remember, these true events that we get to relive. God, I pray that as we eat and as we drink this morning, that it would just be a blessing for, for us. That as we remind ourselves what you have done for us, as we remind ourselves who we are, are, who we are in this new covenant, that it would bless our souls, that we would with joy celebrate. Lord, if there's those here who feel shame because of this week, who feel dirty because of their sin, Lord, would you, and, and, and they are in Christ, they are Your people and You're their God. Would You remove that from them, Lord? Would You allow them to come up guilt free and partake in what You've given us? God, I love you. I'm thankful for all that you're doing in us and through us. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Love you guys.